let's face it, I'm not going to stop treating myself anytime soon, and neither should you. But what I should stop doing is paying for me time with whatever random credit card is in my wallet. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times the points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? Honey, is it like a gorgeous free flight that you would have had to have paid for, but honey, you're saving that flight money? Is it a gorgeous room upgrade? Is it like a gorgeous like two-bedroom suite instead of a one-bedroom suite so your like in-laws or like your friend could stay over there in that room so you don't have to like hear them doing whatever with what they're doing in your your guys' room? Is it like really adulting? Oh, I love adulting. And you know what else I love? is not waiting to make smart financial decisions. I also love paying my credit cards off in full every month because like, yes, good credit. So let's like do try to do that and like making responsible decisions, which we love. Um, But anyway, don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerdwallet, finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Honey, I love a luxurious moment, but I also love luxury that, like, doesn't cost quite so much. Then I discovered Quince, and it was a total game changer. They have so many different items to choose from. They have washable silk tops and timeless 14-karat gold jewelry. And the best part is that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Thanks, Quince. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Indulge in affordable luxury, honey. Go to quince.com slash curious for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash curious to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash curious. Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a gorgeous conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. Over on Pretty Curious, we talk all about makeup, all things beauty, best practices, some of the best products, and what they mean to us. Now we are applying our Pretty Curious knowledge to uncover the fascinating and lengthy history behind one of the most mystifying products of them all, eyeliner. As St. Taylor Swift says... Draw the cat eyes sharp enough to kill a man. Now that's a beauty tip. Zara Hankier is a journalist who writes about the intersection of politics, culture, and society. Her work has appeared in BBC News, Al Jazeera English, Bloomberg Business, the Los Angeles Times, to name a few. Her first book, Our Women on the Ground, was a bestseller and won the Susan Koppelman Award for Best Anthology in Feminist Studies. Her second book, Eyeliner, A Cultural History, is out now. Our guiding question, what's the history of eyeliner? First of all, Zara, how are you? Are you thriving? What's your day like? I'm thriving. I'm sitting in my apartment in Brooklyn. Uh, I've got my cold brew right here. Everything's good. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I appreciate you inviting me. I'm such a big fan. So I'm going to try not to fangirl as we're doing this. I'll try my very best. Um, You're the best of all time. (laughs) And also thank you for taking your time. And also a cold brew at 2.15 in the afternoon. You are a brave, brave woman, honey. I love it. (laughs) Eyeliner, honey. When and where was like the earliest known use of eyeliner? 
So it was in ancient Egypt. So we're talking, you know, thousands of years ago. Um, both men and women wore makeup and they very much wore eyeliner, which was known as kohal in ancient Egypt. So the use for kohal or eyeliner back then was multifaceted. So they would wear it to guard their eyes from the glare of the sun, to protect their eyes against the dust of the desert. Um, to, ah. Yes, to treat the eyes medicinally. It had medicinal properties um, to also ward off evil spirits and to honor the gods. And this is such a great entryway into the book for me because it really illustrates that there is so much more to eyeliner than meets the eye. I apologize for the terrible pun, but that's really the point of the book is that when you wear eyeliner, you are channeling so much more than just the aesthetic, right? It's so, it's about beauty. It's about beyond beauty. It's about gender. It's about identity. It's about race. It's about power. It's about, um, your ethnic, um, ancestry it's it's all of these things through just this one object so when you are applying these lines around lines around your eyes really what you're doing is you're traversing continents you're traversing cultures you're traversing communities and i start the book with ancient egypt with nefertiti as my main character to really drive that point and then i go from country to country and community to community and i'll talk a little bit more about that but that's really the um she's really the main character of the book queen nefertiti so when was Queen Nefertiti, like, walking Egypt? Three to 3,500 years ago. So thousands of years ago. But really, actually, what I want to drive, the point I want to drive here in terms of our understanding of Queen Nefertiti and her beauty has really been um, based on her bust. So the bust of Queen Nefertiti was discovered about 100 years ago or display, well, it was discovered about 110 years ago in Egypt, transported from Egypt to Germany, then displayed in a museum in Germany. Um, there have been repatriation efforts to bring her back home, but that's a whole other discussion for perhaps another podcast episode. But she was displayed in, um, in, in this bulletproof um, case in this museum in Berlin. And basically ever since then, many Western women started to clamor to emulate her very exotic look, right? This is when exoticism and cultural appropriation, you could say, really started with Queen Nefertiti. That's what I try to argue in the book. When Western women were actually thinking, how do I channel the allure of this beautiful woman? And they started wearing eyeliner and they started wearing these tall hats to like channel her, her sort of the, the, the hat that she has on um, in the in the bust. And then also these collar necklaces. So for decades, Western women were starting to channel her, her look by doing this uh, whilst very much exoticizing her. And this was part of Egyptomania, right? This obsession with Egypt in the West. And you could find replicas of Queen Nefertiti's bust in like hair salons in like the South here in America. Um, you, you could find her image in beauty magazines with like white women kind of posing next to this image of, of her bust. Um, and really that was the, those were the beginnings of, of uh, this exoticization of Queen Nefertiti. And I argue that she propelled the use of eyeliner in the West. She helped propel the use of eyeliner in the West. So all of these makeup companies started saying like, how do we channel the look of this really beautiful Egyptian woman. Well, here's the tool that you can use to do that. And that's where we see the popularization of eyeliner. Of course, we had the film Cleopatra. We had a, a bunch of other seminal moments that helped further boost the use of eyeliner and the popularity of eyeliner in the West. But I argue that really it was Queen Nefertiti who 
who um, compelled a lot of white Western women to start using eyeliner. Do we know like what it was like made of back then? I love this question so much because the composition of coal or kohal is was a major part of my research. So it was really made of natural substances. Um, and oftentimes the materials used depended on the class of like the people using it. So wealthier people use better materials. So um, there, so it was malachite, a green ore of copper or galena. And galena is the crystal that is the most important ore for lead. But also um, they would use other um, natural substances, anything that could be burned and that you could create this, you could use the soot from the burning. So, you know, when you have the ashes that like the black soot would then be used as the pigment in that you would use along your water lines. So, um, you know, nuts could have been used, um, bones could have been used, blood could have been used, anything that could burn and create that pigment, right? So you've mentioned waterline a few times. And I think, what is like the geography of the eye for like someone who just is like, I don't know about eyeliner. I don't, I don't really know. Like, mm-hmm. my, I'm, I'm just a baby. I don't, I've never heard of eyeliner, like waterline. Where, like, what, like, what are some of the things that we need to know about the geography of the eye, or like the different big vocabulary words around like eyeliner use, application? Like, what are a few vocab eyeliner words that we need to know? Well, firstly, eyeliner is not mascara. I do want to say that. I'm like a lot of people are like a book about mascara. I'm like, no, <laughs> eyeliner is distinctly different. So this does not have anything to do with curling the eyelashes. Um, so the waterline is really that sort of line um, that uh, where your lashes grow. I think that's the best way to put it. It is the line. It's sort of like from the tear duct that extends that outlines the eye. That is the waterline. You have an upper waterline and, a, and a, like a bottom waterline. Usually if eyeliner is applied to the waterline, it will be applied on the bottom eyeliner, uh, the bottom waterline, um, in 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 a way that sort of it beca- it's actually very close to the eyeball, right? So you would drag the pigment or the pencil or whatever it is along that line. Okay, the yeah. the eyelid. So the eyelid is separate to the waterline. The eyelid is is where actually you would most likely apply. Um, liquid eyeliner. You wouldn't really apply liquid eyeliner to your waterline because that it wouldn't it wouldn't deposit well. It wouldn't stick. So, you know, you can apply many different types of eyeliner to the lid, but usually liquid eyeliner would be ideal. Um, pencil eyeliner can work well as as, as well um, for both the lid and the waterline. But those are really the two areas. But then some people wear eyeliner quite extravagantly in such a way that it extends all the way to the edges of the eyebrows towards the temple. So you're moving actually I did the away. sluttiest eye makeup the other day. Do you want to see? I Please do. Show me. <laughs> okay, wait. Well, well, that was pretty too. This is a little bit of... No, no, no. I can't. No, no, no. That one is not as good as I need to be. I spoke too soon. No, and it looks like shit in that picture. Oh, dear. No, okay, I hate that picture too. Oh, my God. Okay, well, you can kind of see it here. That looks really... That looks quite smoky. That looks. Smoky. I did. I really, yeah. I really went for it. I was, I was all up in my, I was all up in my upper and lower waterline. Yeah. But sometimes I'd be getting this fallout because I have really hooded eyes, and the next I got to get like a better like setter. But this for a different podcast. There you go. I like that. That sounds great to me. Yeah. So, like working our way from like ancient Egypt, like when do we see uh, eyeliner like come up next? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously it will have been used over the centuries, particularly, what, what I really try to argue in this book is that 
Um, the origins of eyeliner really are in the East. So it was used in across Asia and across Africa. And there's a lot of intersectionality there in the sense that while these these different communities and cultures were using eyeliner um, in different ways, the intersectionality was that a lot of the reasons were quite similar. So this has been the case for centuries, uh, thousands of years across these communities in Asia and Africa and elsewhere. It wasn't really, of course, it was also worn in the West in different ways, but it wasn't really popularized as eyeliner in the way that we know it today with the contemporary formulas until the 1900s, right? There was this period of intense fascination with ancient Egypt that led all of these Western companies to start creating eyeliner. But of course, they use other materials prior to that, such as charcoal. For as long as people have been beautifying themselves, that is as long as people have been wearing eyeliner. Eyeliner has been around for thousands of years. It just has taken different forms, right, over the thousands of years. So when it comes to like religious significance, um, what are some of the examples that you learned about in your research uh, where eyeliner like showed up like with particular like religious uh, ramifications? There are mentions of uh, lined eyes in the Bible or darkened eyes. And one of the figures um, that was mentioned who had darkened eyes was Jezebel. That could lead us into a different direction of like, what does it mean when a woman darkens her eyes? Um, because it is so um, uniquely, um, let's say, an aesthetic item or interpreted as an aesthetic item, that part of the research was really fascinating to me because it showed that actually there is so much more to eyeliner than just beauty. And for the Muslim community or for men and women within the community, because the prophet had worn it, even in the stricter Muslim countries where you would not accept, uh, for where, where some of these countries would not accept um, beautification to, um, let's say, um, attract a man, um, you were still allowed to wear eyeliner as long as it was quite subtle. So in the United Arab Emirates several years ago, there was a fatwa, um, fatwa means like an Islamic ruling, that said you are allowed to wear eyeliner as long as you do it without the intent of attracting a male, for example. But that is such a nuance, that is so interesting to me because it's like, professing a, a form of religiosity, but there's that very fine line there where you're like, oh, but actually it makes you look really good though when you do that, right? So what is your intent when you do that? So that was quite interesting. Was there any other like uh, cultures that you studied or researched that like you found there was like intersectionality or something that, like multiple people were using eyeliner for like outside of like religion, spirituality or like mm -hmm. medicinal reasons? Yes. Thank you for asking. I think identity is huge. Identity, heritage, ancestry. I found this to be particularly evident with the Chola community, the Mexican-American um, women who style themselves in a particular way. As we know, they have this incredible um, aesthetic. It's very striking where they have very vivid eyeliner, lip liner, the big hoop earrings, you know, the nameplate necklaces. The, the styling actually is very much rooted in the racial discrimination that Mexican-Americans faced when they moved to America. And as a part of that discrimination, there was pressure on them to assimilate in terms of how they looked, right? But as a reaction to that, as a celebration of their identity, they came up with their own aesthetic, right? This really unique aesthetic. It started with the Pachuca style. So those that was like the zoot suits when they would wear 
specific types of clothing. And then eventually that aesthetic evolved into the chola style. And as I said, the chola style is really the heavily lined eyes, the the lip liner, the the, the big hair, the hoop earrings. And for them, that aesthetic is it's it's uh, it's about expressing pride in their identity, but also setting themselves apart from Anglo-Americans who, um, you know, were pretty racist against them, right? And they were expecting them to look in a certain way. And then that chola aesthetic was then um, in Western media for many years associated with gang culture. There was this idea that like, oh, well, if she pers- if she's, you know, wanting people to perceive her in this way, then surely she's dangerous. And that to me actually really underscores this idea that like a white woman in eyeliner is not perceived in the same way as a woman of color uh, in eyeliner. And then that really speaks to ideas or themes of identity and cultural appropriation because we then saw the Chola aesthetic being appropriated. Like Gwen Stefani had this video called Luxurious where she was like a white Chola, right? So um, there's a lot of intersectionality there in terms of like the celebration of one's heritage whilst also rejecting Eurocentric beauty norms. And we see that in other communities, other minority communities where like drag queens are actually expressing themselves physically, you know, by this very elaborate, distinct makeup as sort of a rejection of what you would expect from, you know, how a certain person would um, present themselves based on their gender, right? So they're kind of bending these um, these gender norms or these expectations and saying, look, I'm proud to be who I am and I'm going to present myself unapologetically to you. And eyeliner is one tool in this like wide range of tools in a makeup arsenal that can be used to express oneself, but also to reject certain expectations or societal expectations. Recently, I've been having some stomach problems. Everyone that I talked to recommended that I take a bunch of different supplements and vitamins, but it's kind of complicated to keep track of that many different pills and powders every day. So I decided to give AG1 a try because I wanted a single solution that supports my gut health while also supporting my immune and brain health. AG1 covers my bases with high-quality ingredients like pre- and probiotics, adaptogens, antioxidants, and whole food-sourced nutrients. AG1 also replaces my multivitamin, my pre-slash-probiotic, and my supplements to support energy and focus. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com curious. That's drinkag1.com curious. Check it out. Don't you just love when someone looks at you and says, what were you up to last night? Well, no matter how late you were up the night before, Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops can help your eyes look more refreshed and awake. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute to help your eyes look brighter and whiter for up to eight hours. No wonder it has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. You won't believe your eyes. You know you can trust them, though, because they're made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb, and they're backed by six clinical studies. Eye doctors trust them, too. They're the number one recommended redness reliever eye drop. The one and only Lumify is an amazing drop that will have people saying something's different about you in the best way possible. So check out LumifyEyes.com to learn more. 
Where else did you go? Like, where else was eyeliner? Yeah, so um, I traveled to um, Petra in Jordan to write about how the Bedouin community there wear eyeliner. So um, the men really, really glam themselves up, right? They're giving Pirates of Caribbean vibes. It's, It's really funny because I actually met a Bedouin man and he said to me, you know, people always say that I look like Johnny Depp in Pirates of the Caribbean. And then he stopped and he said, is it me who looks like him or does he look like me? Like he looks like me. Those are my vibes. Those are the original vibes or I'm the OG, which I found to be very funny. So I traveled to Petra to do that. Um, I traveled to um, Chad, uh, to the savannas of Chad, where I camped out. I'm not a camping girl. Okay. That was hard work for me. That was the hardest part of my research where I was like 12 days in a tent, like in the desert, like literally observing this nomadic community. Um, basically, uh, the Wadabi community there, um, the onus is on the men, not the women to be beautiful. And every year there's a beauty contest called the Warsaw where the women judge the men for their looks. So they glam themselves up by lighting their eyes. They actually prize eyeliner so much in that community that they will wear it in vials around their neck. So they cover their face with different colors of foundation and they, they, they sort of, for them, their beauty standards, this is another element or part of the book, the interesting um, exploration of how beauty standards vary from community to community. So what's considered beautiful there would not be, for example, considered beauty beautiful in like Eurocentric beauty norms. So like a, a high forehead for them is really quite beautiful. So they will shave their heads back their hairlines back, right? So that was really interesting to observe, but eyeliner for them is very important. Darkening the eyes is very important because for them, contrast is beautiful. The contrast of the whiteness of the eye and then the blackness of the framing of the eye, the whiteness of the teeth, and then they will darken their lips. So that was a a component of my research. And then I also went to India. Um, I went to Kerala in India where I, I wrote about the Kathakali dancers there. So dance is such a profound part of their culture and they have very extravagant uh, makeup for most of their dance. And the Kathakali do something called eye dance where they literally move their eyes to tell stories. And then the framing of the eyes is very important. Um, I went to Japan to write about the geisha community where I, I, I hung out with a millennial geisha in Kyoto to write about how beauty for them is really important and how the lining of the eyes is important. So red eyeliner for them uh, is called Mabari. It guards against evil spirits. Um, and again, we see some intersectionality there where these different communities are using eyeliner differently and wearing it differently, but for similar purposes. And then I also traveled to um, Berlin to see Queen Nefertiti myself. It was like a pilgrimage for me, you know, bow down. It was great. Um, and then I went to um, uh, Los Angeles to write about the Chola community, which is the Mexican-American community. Um, so a lot of this work really involved um, travel and on the ground research, as well as reading a lot of books, watching a lot of movies. I have a chapter about Amy Winehouse, um, who... Uh. I adore <laughs> so much. And I have a chapter actually about um, drag queens in New York, which was one of my favorite chapters too, because I got to bond with a couple of drag queens. And I write a, a lot about, you know, how this item of makeup is very transformative, particularly for communities of color and minorities. So like people who are queer, who identify as queer, non-binary, trans, like eyeliner is such an important element of the transformation for them, depending on what 
they're trying, what, what message they want to convey to the world. Eyeliner helps them do that. And it plays a really big role. And especially as you can imagine for drag queens. Where did your research take you for Queens? Where did you go? Um, it took me to Fire Island, which I Fine. love. Yeah. So Miss Fire Island is this incredible beauty contest where they, you know, they'll have like best entertainer, Miss, you know, the, the drag queen um, of the year will be Miss Fire Island. So, um, they also have drag king as well. Um, so the um, the event is is basically a series of performances um, to just this incredible music, incredible vibes. Everybody's getting drunk. Everybody's having fun. The costumes are amazing. The makeup is amazing. The hair is amazing. And it's just this beautiful moment of celebration for the queer community, the drag community. However, somebody identifies they're welcome in that space. And it was such a beautiful experience for me to be in that space, to be welcomed into it and to observe it and to see just the transformative power of eyeliner, not just aesthetically, but also in terms of like how this person is expressing themselves. Did you find any like big misconceptions about eyeliner? Just the wins, the wears, just like any misconceptions? Yeah, I think this idea that it is a um, makeup tool that is reserved for women is one of them. Um, actually, so many men wear eyeliner all over the world. For me, um, I, I don't even think of eyeliner as makeup. Like I think of it as so much more than makeup and it's sort of ubiquitous. It's, it, you know, it's men, women, non-binary people. Um, actually some men wear it in, in certain Asian cultures where there's this sort of idea that like, oh, maybe men shouldn't be beautifying themselves. So they would like wear it in such a way that it's not very evident that they're wearing the eyeliner. I found this in Japan, um, that they're wearing it in a very, very subtle way so as to beautify themselves, but, but not to look like they're putting the effort in there to beautify themselves. So I found that to be, um, very interesting as well. Um, like they're, so I, they're giving the no makeup makeup look. Yes, exactly. They're giving them the no makeup makeup look. So I found that to be really interesting that it is really, really not a tool that is limited to women. Like people really think that it is, but this book is not like, I would hope that anyone would buy this book, no matter what their gender is, because really eyeliner plays such a significant role, um, no matter what gender you are. And, and you, you'd be surprised who's wearing it. These days, you can't go anywhere on the internet without running into the most horrible takes. You know, your good old-fashioned homophobes, or your self-proclaimed alpha males, who are writing two-page articles titled, How to Score the Perfect Female in 10 Days. If you are just as sick of these outdated takes as we are, you will love our podcast, Outspoken, hosted by me, Sam Collins, and my incredible partner, Shannon. We are an LGBT couple who have seen it all, been called it all, and are ready to take on the never-ending world of outrageous online opinions. Each week, we bring you the most ridiculous videos, hot takes, and hellbent news we come across on the internet. So, come laugh with us as we dismantle outdated ideologies and tear apart the most confident idiots on the internet on our podcast, Outspoken. You can follow and listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you are listening right now. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now.
what do we make of the history of eyeliner? Really what I want people to take away from this book is that um, there there are layers to eyeliner. It is not simply a beauty product. And when you are applying these lines around your eyes or when you're stenciling your eyes, that you need to understand that there's actually so much more to those lines than simply the pigment. There's a whole history there. There's a history of kings, of queens, of nomads, of poets, of writers. You know, you're traveling or traversing the world with this one item of makeup and that the roots of that item of makeup are in ancient Egypt. And what I try to say is that we, there's so many discussions around cultural appropriation, right? And, and how to sensitively, um, you know, uh, celebrate other cultures or to take elements of that culture and to incorporate those elements into our own aesthetic. And it has been problematic his, uh, historically how eyeliner has been used in the sense that this channeling of the exotic look of Nefertiti actually occurred against a backdrop of serious racism where there were cherry picking, there was cherry picking of these, uh, these elements of beauty um, in the sense that like, okay, let's take these elements of beauty, but then let's not have, let's not have dark skin be attractive or considered beautiful, right? So it's that cherry picking that became quite problematic in terms of like how people use makeup and wore makeup. And what I want people to, to, to do when they use this makeup is to consider the history, it's to consider the heftiness of that history and to celebrate or to acknowledge that the that the origins of this makeup is actually in communities of color, right? And um, in doing that, we give credit where credit is due, but we also have a nuanced approach to how we wear makeup. And we understand that makeup is not just aesthetic, it's not surface level, it's very deep. You know, there's so much more. When we make the decision to wear eyeliner, when we make the decision to present ourselves in a certain way, we're telling people a story about ourselves and about our identity. And that is actually so much deeper for people who come from these communities, particularly in the global South, particularly um, in communities of color. So I would hope that people think of this as a beautiful object, but as a beautiful object that has the potential to tell so many different stories, right? And eyeliner is worn in so many different ways all around the world by so many different communities and people. And I would hope that, you know, people now feel, okay, wow, this, this actually carries weight, the weight of history. Um, and that's what, I, that's what I hope people take from it. So looking ahead, how do you see eyeliner application evolving in the future, like trend-wise? And um, I feel like you know, celebrities and influencers are a lot of the kind of gatekeepers and like, you know, purveyors of eyeliner. So where do you see the eyeliner uh, street value, street cred uh, trends? Where do you see it all going? Love this question because the last chapter of the book is actually about influencers and the title is hashtag graphic liner because we are now in the age of influencers and social media and eyeliner is such a major tool for the expression of sort of beauty trends um, and we're seeing a lot of very very creative looks um, where the lines take on almost a life of their own there are stars there are hearts there are rainbows there are you know, there's there's a book influencer who would like do her eyeliner based on book covers. 
Um, there are movie eyeliner um, influencers where like people will like l- watch a movie and think, how do I how do I actually tell the story of the movie through the eyeliner? It's so creative. It's next level creativity. It's explosions of color, explosions of designs. And um, we're seeing a lot of um, sort of very, very unconventional looks where eyeliner is really a tool for people to express their creativity. It's almost like a canvas, right? Where you're, you're like an artist, where you're taking the paintbrush to your eyes. And I find that to be so exciting. So there, there are a lot of sort of great looks online. Um, and I actually spoke to a lot of these influencers. A lot of these people will not have significant, um, you know, makeup on their face other than their eyeliner because they want to highlight their eyes. A lot of these people actually might have certain skin conditions, for example, whereby for them, they're using their eyes as this um, sort of self-expression that turns the attention towards the eyes and away from other areas, but not in a way that they're trying to conceal, you know, any skin condition they may have. It's just that they want to express themselves by focusing on their eyes. So I found that to be quite beautiful as well. And I really think that there's scope for more creativity there. We're just seeing so many different colors and formulas. And some of those looks end up being sort of emulated on the red carpets. You're seeing some, you know, Doja Cat is one, um, you know, she, she has very creative eyeliner, um, and it's been it's been fun to kind of observe um, how um, it, this is not entirely new, though. I do want to say in the 60s and the 70s, there was a lot of creativity in terms of how eyeliner was worn. So graphic eyeliner is not necessarily new. I just think that it's taken on sort of um, a new uh, lease of life in the age of social media where people are posting so much on Instagram and it's really about how they look on the camera, not necessarily in real life. And what I've seen also, what I've noticed is this move away from like the idea of the Instagram face. Like I'm sure you're familiar with it. Gia Tolentino of the New Yorker came up with that phrase where like people were really heavily contouring their face. And, you know, it was actually the roots of some of that look were actually um, from drag queens, right? So there was that heavy contouring of the face, the button nose, the big lips, the big eyes. We're kind of moving away from that into sort of the um how do we put it? The snatched face, right? And actually the snatched face also comes from, there's so much, um, uh, it's take- all contour, honey. It's all contour. Yeah. It's all. And a lot of this is taken again from, from drag queens, right? From the looks yeah. of drag queens. But this idea of the snatched face where like the eyes are sort of, um, uh, they're elongated rather than made to look bigger. Right. So we're entering that, um, period, but I think that a lot of these graphic liner influencers, are actually saying, I reject the Instagram face. I reject the snatch face. I want to be creative. I'm going to use my face as a canvas and I'm going to draw these extravagant lines around my face and I'm going to draw my your attention to my eyes. You know, the eyes, as they say, is the window, the windows to the soul. So I actually um, I quote uh, a makeup artist in my book who says something like, this is serious business when you are lining your eyes because when you look at somebody, that is the first thing that you see their eyes. So um, it's fun to see all of these graphic liner um, looks. Uh, on, on that really is so true. Yeah. That's so true. Um, has your relationship with eyeliner changed over the course of your research for this book? Love that question too. Um, actually, uh, as I was um, writing the chapter about Amy Winehouse, I found that my lines were, or my wings were becoming bigger and bigger and bigger, such that when I would go places, 
people would say, has anyone ever told you that you look like Amy Winehouse? And I realized it was because my wings were so big because she was sort of like an, uh, I guess she was like guiding me with her aesthetic from the grave. And I loved that. So my wings became much bigger and much bolder for a long period of time. Um, I uh, use coal, so like the natural kohal along my waterline. Um, and that's from kohal that I get from the Middle East, which is made from natural materials, um, usually from the sap of a tree that is then burned and then the ashes become the coal. So that's what I use along my waterline. Um, and then along my lid, I use NYX um, liquid eyeliner, which is great and has great longevity. But I've started being a bit more creative. I actually have rhinestones on today. So I'm kind of taking um, some of what I've learned from my research and low-key kind of um, experimenting with eyeliner looks myself. When I went to Japan, actually, um, they experiment a lot with colors there. So I got a lot of different colors um, of eyeliner from Japan. So I'm experimenting with colors as well. Gen Z over there really experiment with colors and different graphic styles. So I ended up just buying like 10 different um, colors of liquid eyeliner there. Um, but most likely you are going to see me in like the classic um, cat eye uh, Nefertiti type wing. That's just been my look for like as long as I've been wearing eyeliner. I've been wearing eyeliner since I was like 14. So probably younger. Actually. Is that what inspired you to want to like take your relationship to eyeliner to the next level and like write a whole book about it? Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm Lebanese um, with some Egyptian ancestry as well. And I grew up in the UK and really um, I used to watch my mother when she would apply eyeliner. My mom, like we were six kids. She was away from Lebanon during the civil war. It was a really hard time for her. My dad wasn't really around. Um, and she she was surrounded by chaos, but really when she applied her eyeliner, it was very ritualistic for her. So it would almost be like everything around her would stop and come to a standstill when she would apply her eyeliner. And I grew up watching her do that. It was kind of like self-care for her. And I felt that that connected me to my ancestry and my heritage because I felt like she was kind of coming into her own and like things were coming into focus for her despite all the chaos around her because she was connecting herself to something that is so central to our culture, which is lining eyes. In the Arab world, women darken their eyes all across the Arab world. Eyeliner is ubiquitous everywhere. And like the beauty of an Arab woman is like her having these big darkened eyes. So I felt like it connected me to my heritage by watching my mother applying those lines around her eyes. And then around about the same time, I discovered Nefertiti through my father, through his um, Egyptian side of the family, because he used to love anything to do with Egypt. So he would have like magazines, books about Egypt. And that's how I discovered Nefertiti. So I kind of started becoming obsessed with the idea of eyeliner really through my mother and then through Nefertiti, because I felt like it connected me to these like beautiful Eastern women and then the first time that I, I had eyeliner applied to my eyes was through an Egyptian friend of mine um, in England, in the UK, where I grew up. And um, I really like felt like that was the first time that I felt like I came into focus. Like I kind of felt like, wow, I look really pretty with this eyeliner on. So it was like a coming of age moment for me. And eyeliner has always been central to my beauty kit. I always have eyeliner on me. Like if I leave the house, it's like keys, phone, you know, cards, eyeliner <laughs> did we get like all the most iconic people to wear eyeliner through history we got our nefertiti 
we talked about Cleopatra a little. Was there any other major people who we missed? Yes. Yeah. So, um, God, it's impossible to list them all. There are so many icon eyeliner icons. Um, yeah. Nefertiti, Cleopatra, um, you know, David Bowie, Freddie Mercury. Yes. Uh, just so, so many, um, Amy Winehouse, obviously icon, um, uh, Queen Latifah, uh, Lauren Hill, um, Shikari Richardson, who's more of sort of a ah. recent one. Um, just so, so many. It's it's almost impossible for me to like list all the, and I have my own icons, right? No worries. So, I just want to make oh, sure that Twiggy, we didn't miss any in your research. Twiggy's oh, Twiggy's a major. big one too. Yeah, yeah, so many. Yes. <laughs> okay, so Zara, what's next for you and your work and how can we follow along? Well, um, I am going to be promoting the book for the next few weeks. So I'm going to be focusing on that and writing a bunch about eyeliner as well. But really, my my focus is on culture and the intersection of culture and society and politics. So I will be continuing to write about that. So do follow me on Instagram. You know, my work's on my website. DM me. I love talking about culture with literally anybody. Um, So, yeah. Yes. Okay. We will definitely put your links to your Instagram um, wherever you're listening to this. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on Getting Curious. We are like just ready to go. Pu- oh, uh, before I before we leave, any did you learn any like especially cool tips and tricks that you use for eyeliner? God, that's. Do you like ever be using like the credit card to like wing the eye or like a little tape or? I think it really comes with practice for me. Like it came with practice, but I will say that I find um, using like uh, using my my finger actually to be sort of one of the easiest ways to like just to fine tune the lines when you smudge a little bit. And you can get these really great like stencils on you know you can find them like on Amazon and for like a couple of bucks where it'll be like a cat eye stencil. Those are really helpful too if you want to start mastering your your lines. Um, but for me, actually, it's it's just easiest for me to do um, just to sort of go by my own, um, you know, by the natural line of my eye. I just kind of follow that line and bring the wing up. And then I will just fine tune it with my finger or with like a, a cotton bud. What do you guys call it in America? Sorry. Oh, yeah. Q-tip. Yes, queen. I love it. I'm all up with my Q-tips. Yes. Yeah, so, so, yeah. So really, really that. I just keep it very basic, very simple. But the stencils are really helpful for, for beginners. And if you want to do sort of the bolder, bigger looks, the stencils. And are it's like practice, practice. I've been on a makeup journey myself and it really does. Sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, what did I do? But that's part of the fun. And we get better every time. Well, you are an icon. No, get out of here. You're amazing. Thank you so much for coming on Getting Curious and sharing your your research with us. We're so appreciative and this was so much fun. It really was so much fun. Thank you. I'm just so excited to hear this and thank you for taking the time. Oh my God, it's our pleasure. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Van Ness. You can learn more about this week's guest and their area of expertise in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. You can follow us on Instagram at JBN. And can I just say our social work has been so good. We are just slaying over there. So give us that follow. You can catch us on here every Wednesday and make sure to tune in every Monday for alternating episodes of Curious Now and Pretty Curious. Still can't get enough, honey? Either can I. You can subscribe to Extra Curious on Apple Podcasts for commercial-free listening and our subscription-only show, Ask JBN, where we're talking sex, relationships, and so much more. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thank you so much to her for letting us use it. Our engineer is Nathaniel McClure. Getting Curious is produced by me, Chris McClure, and Allison Weiss, with production support from Julie Carrillo, Ann Curry, and Chad Hall. 